We'll be getting there this week. You bet. Yeah. So we are finishing up, though, this series. We started, this is the fourth week, this is the last week of this series, of finding hope in the struggles of life, finding hope in the struggles of life. And, you know, sometimes, I said this last week, am I a little loud, too? Maybe it's, I don't know. I'm good? Okay. I said this last week, that sometimes when the holidays come around, you know, you hear these songs that are playing, everything's merry and bright, and sometimes it's not merry and bright for everybody. Sometimes people actually, you know, they, they kind of face the holidays with a little bit of resistance, and it could be just because of the things that have happened in the past. Maybe you lost a loved one, you know, just some kind of traumatic experience where the holidays weren't so merry and bright. And so everybody... And certainly Christians, this is what this, this series was about, goes through struggles in their life. Yeah. Every Christian has had some dark days and some dark seasons even, yes. wouldn't you say? I mean, so God has a way to help us, though, to give us hope through those struggling times. That's what this series was about. And the first week we had talked about fear and anxiety. Second week we talked about loneliness and loss. What, how do we find hope? with God through loneliness and loss. Then last week we talked about depression. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to talk about addiction. The struggle with addiction, which is a quite a, a big problem in our nation today. I mean, certainly the fentanyl problem is a huge issue with addiction. Um, and even though people experience, and we're gonna have some personal testimonies today, which are gonna be awesome. Yes. Um, even though people go through darkness for whatever reason, it might be depression, loneliness, uh, fear and anxiety, mm -hmm. or addiction. Uh, we talked about this last week. We said some of the things that we go through create some dark emotions. But what we have to remember is your emotions are not permanent. They're real, but they are not permanent. Thank God they're not permanent. Amen. They're subject to change. And that's what gives us hope, because that's what the good news is uh, in this series, really, that God is our light, and he is our salvation, and in him we always have hope. Amen. When we put our trust in him, his promise is he will dispel darkness in our life and give us hope. So that we want to look at this scripture as we start out, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 29. It says this, you, Lord, are my light. You dispel my darkness. Yeah. God is light. I mean, the very first command that God gave in Genesis was let there be light. And yeah. he separated light from darkness. Okay, so God is our light. Light is a major theme in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is the light of the world. Come on. You, Lord, are my light. This is a wonderful confession and declaration to memorize and say to yourself. Say it out loud with me. It could help. Say, you, you Lord, Lord, are, are my, my light. light. You, you dispel, dispel my darkness. darkness. I want you to say it again. You, Lord, you, Lord are, my light. are my light. You, you dispel, dispel my darkness. darkness. He does it. Yes. If you believe, he will dispel your darkness. So as I say, light is a major theme in the Bible. Jesus said this. This is John 12, 46. Mm. He said, I've come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. Hallelujah. What Thank a great promise. Jesus has come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in him will no longer wander in darkness. And he's not talking about wandering around on a dark alley in darkness. <laughs> he's talking about wandering around in personal darkness, yeah. in the struggles of life, when you just feel like it's dark, I don't know what to do. He will dispel your darkness if you put your trust in yes. him. And he came as a light so that we don't have to wander in darkness through this life. And so everybody does have dark days. There's not a person in here who would say, I've never experienced a, 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 a bad day. <laughs> if you... <laughs> We'll give an altar call for liars here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's really not a person in this room who has not been affected by addiction. True. One way or the other, the pain of addiction. 
Either it's personal, it's you yourself, or it's somebody close to you. Mm -hmm. And so as we begin talking about addiction, we're going to just start with ourselves because we're very familiar with the struggle of addiction. Yes. I grew up in a home where there was alcoholism. My dad was alcoholic. And um, he worked hard, always, always worked hard, but he drank hard, too. And, uh, you know, he always brought home a paycheck. We always had food on the table. He rarely missed work, and sometimes I wonder, like, how he went when he was so hungover, but he always went. Uh, we always had food on the table, we had clothes, and we had a nice, a nice home. There were five of us kids. But my memories of childhood... I have to say, are tainted with this background of drunken episodes, really, in the home, where there's a lot of shouting, a lot of threats. And in the background of all of that, as a kid, I mean, we're talking from a young age through high school until I left home, of fear, anxiety, what would happen, is everybody safe, you know, like kind of living behind closed doors, dad's coming home, oh no. What's it going to be like? And so you can imagine growing up as a kid, and I think some of you sit here and go, I can relate. You don't have to raise your hand, but I think mm -hmm. many people can relate. Uh, when you have some kind of addiction in the family, that there's shame to it. There was rarely a time when I felt comfortable asking my girlfriends to come over because it was like, oh, I don't know when my dad, my dad worked shifts. And so it was like, I don't, I don't know if he, if he comes home. I, let's, let's go to your house. <laughs> it was always like that. Mm. And so there was this sense of home just wasn't a safe place. Okay, so then by the time I got into high school, uh, I really couldn't wait to get out of the house. It was like, I'm heading off to college. I'm going somewhere but I'm leaving all this behind is really how I felt about it. And we tend to think mm -hmm. that like geographical cures, like I'm going to just pick myself up and I'm going to go live 100 miles away from, from where I experienced all this trauma and everything will be different. And the thing about it is for a while it, it did seem right. different. It was like this is better. It was better when I went to college. Uh, I felt like I got away from this and I'm going to start. Of course, it's kind of funny what you grow up in doing and seeing, you know, then you hit college and everybody's drinking and partying. So it's almost like, here we go. Like you're in here. Now you're now you're coming into adulthood. Uh, but I'm um, thankfully my dad, he did get sober the last two years of his life. Right. And it was mostly really because the alcoholism had taken such a toll on his body. And he died young. He died when he had a, he had a heart attack suddenly at age 57 and died. Yeah. Um, but I can, I can say that before that happened, I felt like there was a little bit of reconciliation there. By that time I had gone, I, I was in nursing school and I'd learned about some things about addiction. And then I began to look at his family, the little that I knew about his family and saw the pattern of addiction in his own father, mm -hmm. in his brothers, and the rough, I mean, we were all, they were all immigrants coming over from Czechoslovakia, Poland. Right. They all seemed to have this culture of work hard, drink hard. Everybody went to church on Sunday. I mean, that was a great, I don't know how that all happened. That was great. <laughs> in fact, that was one of the best influences. I could remember going to church, Catholic church, and sitting there with my dad. I could smell the alcohol on his breath. He's hung over, but we're sitting right there in the second pew, you know, right? Yeah, and so God did some good things through that, but I did, I have to say that by the time I was in my late 20s, um, and then Pastor C's going to share his testimony, it's kind of interesting how you somehow gravitate to people. You, I thought to myself, I'll never, I'll never marry somebody who's alcoholic. And it's kind of, as you hear his testimony... <laughs> It's funny how yep. we gravitate to what we know. <laughs> Subconsciously, we can do these things. But I, what I realized was that, you know, I still had some many emotional scars mm -hmm. from growing up in that kind of atmosphere. I mean, they called it adult children of alcoholics whenever he went into, you know, the AA recovery. And then I, I was actually worked as a nurse then for five years. The Butler Hospital had a 30-day rehab for... Uh, 
recovery and addiction. And ended up working five years there. And as a nurse, and I learned a lot about myself as I'm helping the patients. I'm thinking, God, you're teaching me a lot about what I went through. And you really do need help. You know, yes. you, you think that you don't think that just geographically moving away from it is going to take care and heal the emotional scars. So this is part of the struggle of our life that we do have to admit we have these emotional pains and then we, we can let God in to our life to help yes. us with it. So today we're talking again about addiction. And I think to myself, nobody ever says to themselves, you know, hey, my life's going pretty good. I think I'm just going to really mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to try to destroy it by, you know, maybe get into an addiction or something. Myself, my family. Nobody starts out saying that, right? Nobody does. Yeah, nobody ever says, I I'm going to become hooked on alcohol and become an alcoholic so that when my children grow up, they can go to counseling and yeah. talk about the trauma that I put them through yeah. and how much they hated me because yeah. of it. Uh, you know, but it happens all the time. Yeah. It, it happens all the time. You know, I, uh, I grew up in a home where alcohol was a big part of our family's social life, uh, especially football Sundays. And uh, go blue. Yeah. <laughs> One person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Usually the room's full of Ohio State fans. and uh, so. But Michigan... Uh, we went at the big house ever since I was fourth grade all the way up through, you know, the first couple of years of college there, I, we'd have uh, tickets to go to the game. But it was, uh, the alcohol was a part of entertaining in my family. It was a part of relaxing. It was part of socializing. So it was, and it seemed like everybody was having fun. So yeah, I different. equated... Yeah, I, it was totally different from <laughs> Pastor Mamie's experience. Alcohol wasn't having fun in my family. Yeah, no. was, yeah. I remember one time that you, you told me too after she'd come to my house and she goes, so this is how you're supposed to drink and enjoy it. Because it was everything we did, there was alcohol involved. But I equated having a good time with alcohol. They equaled the same thing. So I started drinking when I was 13 years old, and uh, then I added smoking weed, and uh, by the time I was in high school, it was taking LSD and snorting cocaine, but it was mostly uh, weed and, <clears throat> and drinking. At the same time, I excelled at swimming, and... Uh, by the time I was in 1973, I was one of the fastest swimmers in the United States. And I chose my college by who the swim coach was. My grades weren't any good because <laughs> we didn't have an attendance policy and I took total advantage of it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because of my swimming, I got into a great college in California. But what I did not realize was that slowly but surely... I was being mastered by addiction. Uh, when something masters you, it means it rules you. Yeah. It means it has dominion over you. It, it, it controls you and it becomes your Lord. Uh, and Satan's whole mission in life is to master you and anybody he can. He, he, his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy anything that means anything to God, anything that God values, he wants to destroy it. And the number one thing that God loves and values are people. And so, yeah, he wants to destroy you. And he almost took me out while I was in California. Um, you know, we're swimming there and Olympic swimmers, we're swimming with Olympic swimmers, Canadian Olympic swimmers, Australian Olympic swimmers. Uh, but I got in a, in a horrible automobile accident there. Um, I ended up, well, yes, we were both drunk. I didn't, uh, he just came to this party, but I was plastered. And I, I just got in the car with him, and uh, it was miraculous that I lived. I was three weeks in the hospital, 
and then I got staph infection. I had all sorts of internal injuries. Uh, but uh, then it was <laughs> after I got out of there, I lost 40 pounds. And I got out of there, and I couldn't swim anymore. I could, I could swim, but I couldn't ride the water like I used to. It was totally different. So my whole trajectory of life changed because I was training for Montreal 76 Olympics is really what I was doing. Um, so everything was pulled out from underneath me, and I, I got depressed. I didn't really have any purpose any longer because my whole life was swimming at least five to seven hours a day. This is just what we did. Uh, at that point, I, you know, started to mix it up and find some new friends, and I found a, a group of people that were involved with sorcery. Yeah. Went from bad to worse. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and uh, they took me under their wings, and uh, I became more and more adept in using these supernatural powers, uh, along with some psychedelic drugs. Um, then I would come up and talk to the guys that were from Campus Crusade. And see, all the time I thought I was a Christian. I was not. I went to church all my life, but it was never an altar call. And uh, was never explained how to get born again. Because Jesus says, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so I would come and tell the Campus Crusade people, you know, the, my adventures that I'm having in, in the spirit realm. And for months they thought, oh good, here comes Steve. Let's hear what he's got to say. But then one day this guy grabbed hold of me and said, Steve, you're in a lot of trouble. And I go, I am? ignorant and he says yes and I he explained that I've been uh, playing around with satanic worship and sorcery and demonic demons and uh, he explained how to get born again so we went out on the campus and I knelt down on this green grass and gave my life to Christ and I was born again that moment I praise God for that but then I uh <laughs> because I've opened myself up to so many demonic spirits, uh, they really tormented me for months and months and months. When it was night, I wish it was day. When it was day, I wish it was night. I had no relief whatsoever. And I didn't know about... Well, it, months later, I did get delivered completely. People, they had thought they were like referring you even to a psychiatrist, oh, thinking yeah. that I was what you were experiencing in the spirit realm it was as though, well, this is all delusional. This is not really real. Yeah. But the spirit realm is real, and demons are real, yeah. and they can torment you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to modern psychiatry, it might sound like, well, you that's kind of just crazy yeah. talk. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one night I was laying in bed and I, had, I, I could see little drawers open up in my, my body, all over my body, little drawers, and every one of them had demons in them. And I didn't get freaked out, which was surprising. Um, and I just said, unknowingly, I just said, get out in Jesus' name. Instantly, they all left, and I never had a problem ever since. I thought I had power working sorcery, but then I met the real power. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, I, I come back. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm still smoking weed. I'm still drinking, and I come back to Ann Arbor, and... I start to go to Eastern Michigan University where I met Mamie Ogle. <laughs> and we're, we're still, you know, we lived a party atmosphere. We lived a party life. You're talking about the 70s, guys. So, you know, in Ann Arbor, there was a $5 marijuana law back in the 70s. And so it was like, of course. But... Uh, then we get married. And, you know, everything is great, but our party atmosphere starts going. But what happens is, like I said before, 
little by little, I was starting to be mastered by alcohol. And it started to accelerate. My drinking It started to accelerate. And it would, you know, it came to a place where at times my personality would actually change. And instead of being kind of like the life of the party, I became really angry and was willing to fight pretty much anybody who crossed me. And uh, that's just not my character. But uh, my life is starting to change this way. Again, I'm, I'm lying to Mamie because she's t- asking me, how much did you drink? I only drink three. Hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but it progressed. I mean, it you, really in progressed. The end, you said even in the morning, you know. the. Yep. The, in the morning, the, I'd go to the bar. I'd, uh, yeah. But it all, it progressed to a place where it was Christmas Eve and we were having a wine tasting party. (laughs) And uh, of course I was mad because we only had a few bottles of wine. I thought we should have had at least five. And uh, so I get up and I'm going to fight my brother-in-law. And I fall uh, on the coffee table. Well, the party is over at that point. And then... uh, uh, the next morning, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve day, the next morning, Mamie says, I've had enough of this. Uh, I'm leaving and taking our son with me. And that's, uh, that was my aha moment. And so I get on the phone. I'm thinking I'm going to call my pastor at the time. But I ended up calling uh, Butler Counseling on Alcoholism. Don't ask me how I dialed that number other than it was God intervening. So this guy, he calls me. I'm talking to him on the phone. He said, why don't you just come on down? And so it was at that time, it was on uh, uh, Chestnut Street. So I drive down there. I'm talking to this guy on, you know, he's in his desk. I'm talking and. He's saying, this guy really needs help. <laughs> so he picks up the phone while we're talking, and he said, he, I hear him saying, he goes, hey, Chuck, I got a live one for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I was so hungover. I was, I was defeated at that time. I mean, the weight of the world came upon me at that moment. And I, uh, so I, I started to actually come out and say, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. I I hit bottom. And, uh, you know, all the time I'm I'm being deceived, really, in a sense, thinking that everything's cool and everything's going to work out. But you have to sometimes often hit bottom before you change. Yeah. You know, doesn't have to desperation, be. But... Desperation can work a really good thing in your life. Desperation can work a good thing in your life because it can help you realize I, I'm done. I am defeated and I need, I need God's help. Often that's the only time that someone's eyes will go towards the Lord. It's like I can't do anything. I'm out of options. And so we don't like admitting weakness. We don't like admitting defeat. Because, or surrender, surrender feels like I lost, but actually God, by hitting bottom, God can work good in our life, because his word says when we are weak, that's when his power actually is strongest over us. Yeah. So he allows us often to go, go to your weakest point then, because then my power can finally work the strongest in your life. That's really what he told the apostle Paul. You know, when the Apostle Paul struggled with, the Bible says, a thorn in the flesh. And he was troubled and harassed by it. You know, there's debate on what that was. We don't actually know exactly what that was. But it was something that harassed him, bothered him, troubled him every day. And he asked God like three times, please take this away from me. Beg God, mm-hmm. take it away. And then God says this to him. This is Second Corinthians twelve nine. Yes, this is pretty amazing. God says this to him. You know, a lot of times, there is a uh, there is a Bible paraphrase that says, "And God said no to him." 
that's not true. Oh, by the way, that Christmas Eve that I talked about where I went down to the drug and uh, the alcohol uh, counseling, that was 40 some odd years ago. Just to let you know, it wasn't last week. <laughs> it wasn't last Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to clarify that. <laughs> but look what it says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is what he says. God didn't tell him no. He said, my, he said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, well, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so the power of Christ might rest on me. What God is saying, his grace is power. Yeah. His grace is power. He didn't say, no, Paul, deal with it yourself. He's saying, tap into my grace and it'll all change. And this is exactly what he says. He says, for my power is made Perfect in weakness. Yeah. My power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. So you and I, in order to obtain this grace, we have to admit our weakness. We have to admit our weakness in order for us to get the grace to overcome. Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. Uh, you know, we try, because I, I, especially men, we try so hard to do it in our own strength and our own self. Uh, we pull up our bootstraps. We have that John Wayne mentality. And we think that, you know what? Bless God, I'm going to do it. And when you do that, you put God out. You need to tell him, I can't do this. I need your grace. And it, it's, uh, by the time you kind of figure that all out, you're worn out and beat up. <laughs> See, because God's grace works for the humble. That's it. Our flesh loves to be in control. And that's why your flesh will tell you, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. But when God's grace is available to the weak, just will be like Paul. So I'm going to brag on my weaknesses so that the power of God will rest on me strongest. Praise God. So 40 some odd years ago, I finally admitted that I had an addiction problem. And it wasn't just hurting me, it was hurting my marriage, and it was going to destroy my family. Uh, when I admitted my weakness, that's when the door supernaturally was open for me to receive the grace of God. And then he started piecing my life back together. It's awesome. Yeah. And it uh, takes time. These things take time. Yeah. You know, sometimes we think, well, the God's grace comes, and then what? Poof! It's not quite like that. Because there are things, just like for my own self, working through things, emotional pains mm -hmm. from the past, the same, a person who's coming out of addiction has to work through, what brought me to this place? Yeah. Why did I let this happen? And so there's recovery. There's, there's a need for a recovery time and an exploration time with the Lord and even people who also have come out of yeah. addiction because we need, we need to have that support with one another and realize, you know, I'm not alone in this. There are a lot of people who struggle with this. And again, the more that it, when, you, when you hide your issue, that's whenever you have turmoil. Yeah. But when you come out into the light with God, Hallelujah. that's like 50% of it. I've heard that before as a counselor, you know, 50% is like already there. Like as far as recovery goes, if you could just admit your problem and actually genuinely admit it, yeah. you're like halfway there. Maybe the other 50% isn't going to be totally easy, but just think how far you've already come with 50%. Yeah. It's not like you've taken that one little step. Put you yeah, it might head. seem small, yeah. but it's gigantic. Yeah. It's the power, it's the grace of God that will help you overcome any addiction that you yeah. have. Yeah. You know, look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's, it's God's grace that you'll overcome. But it's vital that you admit it. You tell somebody. You reach out to get help. Praise God. Romans 6, 12. It's, it, this is an amazing scripture. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. 
so that you obey its evil desires. And you might substitute addiction for the word sin in there. Yeah. No matter what it is, it, it, it might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it, it might be porn addiction, it might be gambling. I mean, listen, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's just, and he's going to do it in sneaky ways. And just like what I, I said before, my addiction progressed. It wasn't that I drank my first beer and then all of a sudden I was an alcoholic. It was over the years it started to slowly get its grip. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the dead to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. And grace is the power of God to change. Amen. Your addiction will never master you when you surrender your life to Jesus. Never. So we, had a, we have a plan to have a couple of testimonies. I think testimonies are wonderful, very helpful to hear how people have come through some of these struggles with addiction and come into the light with Jesus and mm -hmm. find, find hope, you know, in the midst of the struggles of life. And so yes. we're going to invite uh, Alex to come forward and Chris, and Chris. come on up, we're give gonna, him a hand. Yeah. Just have a seat over here. Take a seat, and we're we have a plan to just ask some questions, some kind of an interview style to just give you some understanding. Go over of, there. Go over there. <laughs> this is pretty brave for people yeah. to come and do this, and, and, and the reason yeah. we're doing it is because this is this will show you that God is at work in people's lives, yeah. and that there is victory no matter how hard it looks like or what the mountain is, it, we're all going to learn from this. All right, so do you want to, did you want to, we've got some questions here just to start, uh, help with the interview and the discussions. Chris will start with you. This is Chris Zacherl. I think everybody knows Chris is, amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> so, Chris, did you grow up, like, in your home seeing any addiction? My story's like, like your story, almost exactly. My, my dad's alcoholic. Same, same deal, um, worked hard every day. I don't remember my dad ever missing a day of work. Yeah. Um, drank every day, you know, for as long as I can remember, you know, every day. Uh, it wasn't like a real super tense household he was pretty he was pretty low-key but if things got like if mom couldn't handle it and it got to him that's when things got bad right mm -hmm. otherwise he's just reading a newspaper drinking watching the news but if it got to like that point where he had to step in that was bad times yeah. like yeah that was rough yeah. but that that's all i really know to tell you the truth and so when it when there were like husband and wife problems my mom and dad those were bad like those were bad times mm -hmm. right so those were like explosives like woo, like it was really bad like lots of crying all throughout the house so it was a it was a bad scene but that was kind of like there's a, a picture of his dad that i know that's a, like like the best picture of his dad that i know and it's him sitting at a picnic table with a can of blats in front of him you know but they, oh. that's kind of like the atmosphere all his brothers they, they drink and it's like it's just kind of what you know, right? Mm -hmm. They were pretty, just blue collar, race car, you know, gearhead dudes that like yeah. to drink. Okay. Alex, do you want to hand them the mic? Alex, how about you? Did you see addiction in your family growing up? Uh, yes, I, I did. Um, it was pretty normal to see somebody drinking. Um, my dad, not so much, but more my mother. Mm -hmm. um, 
but parties and stuff, it was all around the house. Yeah. Um, there was a good bit of family drama as far as not getting along because of that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, how old were you when you started to drink? Was drinking your drug of choice? Like, was that the main yes, thing? Yes, drinking. You drinking? Yeah. Right. So, how old were you? 15, you 16. 15, yeah. yeah. Young one, too. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Chris? It was probably like 17. My first job was at Conley's Golf Course, just working around. And every now and then, we there would be beer left over from like a, a golf outing. And we just, a bunch of kids working there, just young yeah. guys like me. We yeah. would just grab the beer. And yeah. It was pretty just like low-key crap, but that's how it started. So. so did you notice like, you know, some people do, after working for five years on an addiction unit, some people would say in their testimony, like, I knew from the first time I drank, People would say, I had, I had a, I, they drank to a point of a blackout. So there are times when people, hmm. that it, it doesn't go on a slow progression, but did you find that yours, how did, how did it progress for you? Just, it, just over time. Just over time. Yeah. Just over time. Yeah, yeah for sure. You, you don't see it. You don't see what's down the road. So it's like, and it yeah. wasn't like I had to drink all the time when I was 18, like, you know. It wasn't like that. Yeah. 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 How about you, Alex? Uh, mine was pretty fast. <laughs> um, my progression it was fast, yeah. pretty fast. Um, when I did drink, it was blackout. But I was always the one the next morning. If there was a get together and everybody was drinking, I was the one drinking the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. When some people feel yeah. like hungover, yeah. like, oh, you're they were sick to, and I was yeah. drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When did you realize that you actually uh, had a, a substance dependency, uh, a problem? When did, uh, what caused you to realize it? Um, probably when I graduated high school, got a job, and it became an, a, you know, everyday thing mm -hmm. right after work. Days that I was off, it was first thing in the morning. There you go. Yeah. How about you, Chris? I mean, I, I didn't think it was a problem until like everything just like crashed to the to the ground yeah that you don't again you just kind of go and you might have a like an inkling because it's ca causing problems at home and stuff like that but you think eh, you know it's it's no big deal yeah it's going to be better the next day yeah mm -hmm. we'll get over it yeah. yeah but when things just really everything happened at once and so when there was a a big big crash between home life work church it all happened at once and it all just went just just yeah. kind of crashed all at the same time so how many years would you say that till that happened from uh, something 20 years 20 years 20, sure, years, yeah. 20 plus yeah. something like that yeah, yeah. yeah. like mm -hmm. leading up to that point for sure yeah. and it's yeah. a slow crawl yeah it was like drinking and smoking lots of weed when you're young yeah. and it wasn't like everyday weed but it's like if you get it you get it you know, but you do dumb things to get it too. That's another thing. Like you put yourself in really bad situations, like to to get what you want. They're like incredible poor judgment. I mean, it's really yeah. bad. It's, it's kind of surprising to be alive after car wrecks, hey, and DUI checkpoints you go through, never got caught, like never crashed the car personally, but with other people that we crashed, rolled a truck, and uh, going to get weed in the worst parts of Pittsburgh. Literally, like putting yourself in unbelievably stupid situations mm -hmm. to get a quarter ounce of weed. Yeah. You're like, yeah. We're like idiots. Complete <laughs> <laughs> idiots. Oh my but it God. did. It eventually all crashed. But, and I haven't smoked weed in a long, long time. You still think about it because you're like, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. Right. It's just not okay. There's, there's arguments about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's fine. It's just a plant. Blah, blah, blah. I've heard that for years. Remember when they were Talk about legalizing weed, and it's like, yeah, man, it's just a plant. You know, the Constitution, the first draft was written on hemp paper. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, these were the arguments. It's like, geez, it's weed, you know. It messes with your brain. It gives you an altered state of consciousness. Yep, yeah. It just does, and so it's taking you yep. out. It's taking you literally away from the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're high on weed, you're not in tune with the Lord. You're just not. You think you are, but you're not. It's a lie. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. So how did, um, let's go back to like teen years, Alex, like when you were, how'd your family 
the, the, I suppose if people were drinking in the family, then it's kind of what happened in his family. It's like, well, so, of course, you know, you're still too young. You're not of age to drink, but it seemed like people turned a blind eye to it because it was such a part of the culture in the family. Mm -hmm. So how did your family like handle, not your mar not after you're married, but your before you were before you married. married, yeah, handled um, seeing what you're doing and. Or my did dad, they know? My dad, not so good. Yeah. Um, he called me out on my crap. Um, my mom was kind of in the midst of it. Uh, thank God she's three years sober. Hallelujah. Oh, that's awesome. that's great. Um, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a party, so there wasn't much yeah. right discipline. Like, yeah. yeah. Same thing. It's interesting how denial is so strong when you're living with an addiction because you get so used to the atmosphere. I, I, re, I remember whenever he came home that, that Christmas Eve morning and even after how I lived with my dad and how we were living and Chuck became his sponsor and he's like, you know, Steve's alcoholic and you, know, you need help too, he said to me, like you need help because, and I'm thinking, me? He's the one who needs help. <laughs> I mean, you, the denial is really deep because you can think, I'm okay. He's the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and actually, I mean, then our friends, as, they, as Steve went uh, you know, into recovery, our friends began to talk to us and go, I was wondering when you would finally see. <laughs> and I thought, wow, was it that bad? Because you can live and get used to such the craziness. Yeah. And you just call it normal. And so when someone else comes in objectively and looks at your life, it's like, uh, it's not normal. <laughs> but it's hard to break through that denial because there's shame there with that too. You want to go, what? How come I didn't see this about how, what was destroying my family mm -hmm. and my life? So, so um, when did you, like you asked, when did you realize you had a substance a pro a problem? Or maybe we'll go to that question, yeah. Alex. Uh, like when did you, like what caused you to realize then that, I need to get some help. Probably um, having a family and seeing them leave the house more than once yeah. because of my drinking. And then I would promise that I would slow down or stop and do it all over again. Yeah. 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 That's typical. Yes. Couldn't be in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Was there... Yeah. Kind of, again, everything kind of happened at once where oh. I had a, just things at home had reached kind of a peak of bad. Um, things at work were starting to get a little dicey. Um, they smelled booze, you know. I, I got caught up on my boss. I was like, ooh, you know. Yeah. And I could kind of talk through it. He's like, are you drinking all day? I said, no. It was like, I said, I was staying up late, you know, just drinking. I said, I've never, I've never done like an all-day drunk, you know, stuff like that. So I'm not that bad, right? See? It, yeah. It's true. It's like, it's an, true, I've yeah. never done like that. You go to a golf outing and they're just drinking. Like, I'd wait till like 3 o'clock before I started, so I'm fine. But you, can, <laughs> you can drink cool. a lot between 3 and midnight, right? <laughs> so, so between work, home, work, and church. And so again... Uh, I think it was pretty obvious to probably several people. And then Pastor Mamie and Pastor Steve kind of let me know, like, what's going on, Chris? And they knew what was going on. And so it was a point where you kind of had to admit it. And uh, I guess you don't have to, but, but I did. Yeah, yeah. Then there was a, every, again, every, it's like a whirlwind when I think about it now, but it was all real quick. Like, everything happened really fast. So it seemed like a matter of days. Everything was like uh -huh. crash. And I was watching some stupid video. I don't think it mattered what the video was. But in that video, and I'm watching it, and I know it was, it was a word from the Lord. And it was literally the guy said, like, like he didn't say Chris, but he said, if you keep going like that. He was talking about drinking. He said, you're going to die. And I started to sweat because it was like the guy, like, popped out of the video and said, if you keep going like this, you're going to die. And so that made it easier to say, Let's let's work on this yeah. now. Like, let's just get it done. I remember talking to the doctor, and he's, I said, "Doctor, you know, how, you know, how can I quit? Like, kind of on my own." He goes, "You can wean yourself." He goes, "But, but by the, the amount you drink, it's probably going to take you like six months to wean." I was like, 
screw that. Like, <laughs> I know I'm not going to wean myself off a of beer in six months. Like, it's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. He said, or you can check in to rehab and just do it. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. And that's what you recommended. Yeah. You say, well, how does that go? It's like you just call the hospital and you say, hey, I'm calling. I need to check in. And they said, we'll call you when we get an open bed. And I said, okay, bye. And they called like the next day. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> like all right. So I'm going to be off yeah. of work for a while. And like tell the wife, tell the kids, like I'm going to go away. Like daddy's going away for a little bit. Yeah. They knew, you know, they knew what was going on. And it's, it's a weird thing. But I have to say it before I, I go. But it's, and uh, I said it last week to Pastor Mamie. But when you read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation Thank for those you, yeah. who are in Christ. We are in Christ, correct? Yes. And so here's what I know. There was no condemnation from God in any of this. It's this gentle, loving father throughout. And he takes your worst crap and turns it into glory. Amen. It's incredible. And so I was able to say, like, I know there was no condemnation from my pastors. There was encouragement, like total, absolute help. And so, and I do... I could tell Jason Brewer, I could tell Dale, I could tell Joe Cuban, I could tell Cindy back there, I could tell my wife, there was going to be no condemnation from them. So that's a fear. You feel like you don't, you don't know what's on the other side, right? But there's blessings on the yeah. other side, but you have to actually take the step and say, like, here's the problem. Here's what I'm going through. And you realize once you have to, you believe it, but then you do it. And there's, there's faith to actually just do it, right? Yeah. And say, I can, I can tell people this. I can talk yeah. about this and I can share this with Alex. I can share this with Pastor Steve. And he was faithful. We went to some AA meetings. He went with me. And after a little bit of that, I said, I don't really like this scene. Like, it's kind of a scene. It's helpful when it's good, but it's kind of like, it wasn't my scene. Do you know right. what I mean? So I went to a couple. I'm like, I'm kind of done with that. Like, I don't want to go. He said, good. I was like, yeah. It's a culture and it's, it's good, but I didn't, I just didn't dig it. Yeah. Alex, yeah. you went to you went to a recovery, right? You, yeah, you, I, yeah, I spent a week in uh, the Butler Hospital and then uh, three months in a rehab facility. Okay, three yeah. months. Yep. Yeah. Great. You feel like that was a good experience? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. Um, scary. Yeah. Not sure if I wanted to be there, but it was um, longer I was there the better I felt about it, and I couldn't be happier now that I went through with it. Awesome. So what's the high point, then, of recovery or being sober and and straight? Like, would you say now? Now, how many, how how long ago was that? Uh, 2019. 2019, okay. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) So what was the high point? point now, like now when you have a couple years hindsight and some... Uh, closer to God and my family. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Um, it started out as just the ordinary stuff, you know, leaving the house when you want to because you're not too drunk, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just being able to function correctly. Yeah. It felt very freeing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Like, this is how life is supposed to be. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> oh so, and, you know, so your family life now, it's improved. I, yeah, much yeah. stronger. Yeah. yeah, hallelujah. Yeah. How does God play a part in, in your sobriety? Um, to be honest, at first it wasn't, I mean, started out with a prayer and um, he answered the prayer in 2019, and then um, a few years went by. I got pretty sick um, over prayer, and uh, four years later, we moved pretty close to here, and now I'm here. Awesome. And I couldn't be happier. Praise God. And I thank God every day for it. Yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you kind of mentioned too, Chris, high point for you now just is of being awake and 
God has shown himself faithful. Like, yeah. for real. Yeah. Like, for real. You hear that stuff, but it's like, it's a reality. Yeah. He, he does and he did. Yeah. yeah. What would so, you say to somebody, the younger advice. people yeah, that, are, young, uh, yeah. that are testing the waters yeah. and checking it all out? Because these kids are under incredible pressure. Uh, yeah, any advice or wisdom to kids, teens who want to experiment with drugs, alcohol? Probably, you know, be careful with what you mess around with. Um, it all ends up being on the path you don't want to be on. Yeah. Um, and before you know it, it's too late. So, um, and there's always a way to turn your life back around. You just got to swallow your pride and do it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I realized in the end there was no upside. You think there is because you're just doing it, right? But right. then I realized that if if there was an upside, I'm not, I don't know what it was, and it had gone. Like there, there's no there's no upside. It seems to be like this uh, self fulfilling thing where you just like you're in a peer pressure situation, or you just have access to it, and so you do it. But I don't I don't see an upside. So it might be hard to say just no, but. There's lots of things that are hard to do. Yes. You just, you just say no, and you can take it from me or not. I mean, it, it's something where we, we don't have to hit rock bottom. Amen. You don't have to. You really don't. So you want to protect those you love. I want to protect Sam and say, like, Sam, you know, you've seen it. You know, you've dealt with some of the stuff that you've got to see and hear and all this, these different things. You have to say, I'm just telling you, you know, you'll, you either learn it on your own or you can listen to some advice and say, you, you don't have to do this. Yeah. And so God bless the people that could say, I had, a, I had a beer with my meal last night. Like, I couldn't do that. Like, a right. beer, like, that just sounds funny, mm-hmm. right? So I can't do, like, I'm, I never could. Yeah. Like, so I'm yeah. going to have a beer with yeah. my pasta. Like, it doesn't I'm, even make sense to my brain. Yeah. And so if you can avoid it, you just avoid it. Is it going to kill you like every single person here? Of course not. But if you can avoid it, because if you don't know what lies ahead, you, I don't know why you play with kind of like a fire, you know. If we, we can see our background, so you didn't become an alcoholic, but it affected your life dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with an alcoholic, and it affected my life different ways, but very dramatically, very terribly, Pastor Steve, same way. So, like, you can listen to us. We're not lying. You know, it's, it's the truth. So you have to be really, really careful. Real careful. You have to pray about these things and don't put yourself in bad situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Flee from sin. Like, literally run. Run away. And sometimes Just, you have to look at your family line. And very often you'll see an addiction pattern in the family line. And... You, you, often, just like what you're saying with your dad, well, I don't know. There, there may be chemical ways, you know, organic ways that somebody processes alcohol even Great. that makes you more susceptible. So when you're drinking, for some reason, some people would have a one drink and feel like, oh, you know, and the other people, like, there's nothing happening. Everything seems great. That's what you don't know. Yeah. Like, if you have a family line of addiction... You may be susceptible. You may be the person who starts to drink, and it's like, whoa, you could just put that stuff down and feel like I can handle it. And, and I, when you mentioned that your mom is alcoholic, and you mentioned that your dad is alcoholic. and Neither you know, my mom or dad were alcoholic, but it was in our but uh, it was pretty in our family yeah, tree, was, let's yeah, put it that way. Yeah. My brother is also uh he, he, he broke away from alcohol, he too. He was too young. And then his son is alcoholic. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, don't play with it, that's all. It's, yeah. it's just, yeah. like Chris it does Chris have says, the power to just, master. Yeah. 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 And thank well, you, thanks, guys. guys. Give him a hand for coming up there. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. Chris, love you, man. Yeah. Praise God. Now, Let's just close out. We'll, yeah. 
Well, <clears throat> absolutely, yeah. And we were gonna we we wanted to just focus in on yeah. because of the testimonies regarding alcoholism, but certainly there are yeah, like you mentioned, pornography. Yeah. There's gambling. There's yeah. all kinds of your secret. cell phone. You yeah. know, just yeah. scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, sugar, right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just pause here, though. So we want to focus in on um, closing out here and ask a few questions. Because if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't know, you know, am I mastered by something? Is something mastering me? Um, do your family and friends say that you have a problem? You know, that do. was one of the main things as a yeah. nurse on that addiction unit. That was the number one question. Has anybody said to you, I think you have a problem? And that that was actually enough to say you belong here. Yes. That startled me. But it's true because once it gets to the point where it's affecting family and people are hurt by it and people are coming to you by it, you're likely being mastered. Yeah, this is the second question. Do you continue even though you are hurting people? Yeah. If so, you, you, you're likely mastered. And, you know, do here's another. Do you rearrange your schedule around it? Yeah, so that it is always available. Yeah. If, always if that's available. true, then you've got a problem. Yeah. And then can you go a week without it? You know, is, is is it causing you to become isolated? Is it hurting your relationships? If yes, if you think, yeah, it's hurting my relationship, it's hurting things in my family, it's hurting my finances, my job, then... Pretty much something's you, mastered yeah, you. Yeah, something's mastering you then. Do you, you keep it a secret? Do you keep trying to keep it a secret? Or lie about yeah. what you're doing. When someone asks the question, how much and when and how, what, where, are you lying about it to cover it? If you are, you're being mastered by something, yeah. and this is not the plan of the Lord. By the power of God, you can, you and the power of God combined together, beat the addiction. That's right. And the number one step is just admit it. It just simply admit it to somebody. If, if you have a problem, I'm, I'm all ears. You can come right to me. Because just as Chris pointed out, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know, look, you're talking to somebody who walked the path. So do you think I'm going to throw stones? Not hardly. Yeah. <laughs> and let's remember and put faith in the truth that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. That's it. So don't be afraid of your weakness. Admitting your weakness is actually wisdom. For sure. So, Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your power, Lord. We thank you for your love. It's like what Chris said, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I do pray for honesty. I pray for honesty, Lord, in the hearts, in, our, in all of our hearts, Lord. If there is something that has been mastering us, Whatever it is, like, like it doesn't have to just be alcohol or a drug. Whatever is mastering our life and causing problems and yeah. pain and sorrow, the devil is leading us on a path. Don't let us be in denial, Lord. I pray that you break through the denial. And we come clean and we cut the tie. Yes. And we say no and we say, I am, I am, this sin shall not lord it over me. You might be here and you might be like I was. I went to church all my life, but I never was born again. I was never born again. I never really made a commitment to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you fall into that category, I'm asking you, do you want to be saved? Do you want to make sure that heaven is your home? You want to have your sins completely forgiven and you want to walk in the righteousness that God offers and it's available to everybody. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it and we'll say a prayer right now. Just like the prayer I prayed on that college campus. That moment I was born of His Spirit. Born again, my sins were forgiven. What an amazing gift that He gives. Let's just 
somebody listening, let's just close with a simple prayer of salvation. Yes. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I recognize my, my spiritual condition. I recognize my spiritual condition. And I'm lost. And I'm lost. I'm, I'm asking you to save me, Jesus. I'm asking you to save me, Jesus. I, I yield myself to you. I yield myself to you. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen.